0: Romans chapter 3 We're going to get right back into our study today. I do want to welcome those that are watching on live stream today. Last week I said, where are you watching from? And the farthest person away, I'll get the first copy of the new book that I I just started writing two weeks ago, and it should be out in May. Um, Lord willing, the river don't rise, and I can actually do homework now in my 50s. So we are excited about that. And the farthest person away that was watching live last week was from the United Kingdom. They said, I'm watching from the UK. I'm like, winner. Winner, give her a chicken dinner. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. If you're watching a live stream today, and you're like, we're not the farthest away, but the closest. So don't, don't put Fenton, because that's everybody. Put like one mile, half mile. And what we're going to do is when we find out who the closest is, we're going to judge you for not being, no, I'm kidding, we're not we're, <laughs> not, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not, I'm just kidding, just being stupid. Please, if you would, just, I, I'm, I'm a half mile away, whatever, and the closest person that is to, the, to this building today is going to get the second copy of that book. So it's far away, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Romans chapter 3. We started last week talking about good news. This series is let's talk about some good news because we've had enough of bad news. Amen? And there's always good news. And the Bible says that, that there's the gospel of God, the good news. Gospel means good news. The gospel of God, the gospel of salvation, and the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so we start. Let's just talk about the gospel. Let's just talk about some good news. And last week, we started talking about good news by basically talking about why it's good news. Now, Paul starts... The, the explanation of his gospel in the book of Romans. The entire book of Romans is an extended explanation of the good news of salvation, the good news of God, and the good news of the kingdom of God. It gives us all the, the, the stuff about that God is good. It gives us salvation. It gives us that we have authority, that we're, it's delegated, that we're sons. We're no longer orphans, but we're heirs. All of that is in the book of Romans. If you're looking to say, I, I don't quite understand Christianity, where would I start? Start with the teachings of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the book of Acts just because it's freaky and wonderful, and you should get your heart set on the good things that God is still doing today by what he did then. He creates a legal precedent in the book of Acts for 2020 and 2021. Um, but the other thing is, read the book of Romans to really firmly get rooted in your salvation, really get rooted in in God, really get rooted in what it means to be a citizen and a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. So we started last week by talking about bad news. And I think the reason Paul does this, this is, this is Jimism now. This is not me saying Paul says this. This is Jim saying, I think why Paul did this is because it, healing is good news. Anybody guys know that? Healing is good news. So it's part of the gospel of the kingdom is healing. But it's better news to someone who is just given a terminal diagnosis and gets healed than to someone who feels fine. Does that make sense? How many you guys know deliverance is in the gospel of the kingdom, that he will set us free? Once slaves... Now citizens, does this make sense? Now sons and daughters and heirs. That's good news, but it's even better news to me when I was an addict because in my addiction, I tried and I tried and I'll try harder next time. Think of you with your New Year's resolution diets. That was my life every day, only it was sobriety and the struggle to stay sober and what I did to to not stay sober and all the broken relationships. So when I found out that Jesus was a deliverer, that was better news to me than the guy whose biggest sin was he stole a cookie in third grade. Can I get a good amen? Amen. So what Paul starts, he wants to make sure everybody is good and lost because the good news of forgiveness doesn't make sense if I'm okay and you're okay. So he starts with them. Everybody say them. They're bad people. They do bad things. They don't recognize God. They, they And because of this, God turns them over to these varying degrees of sinfulness and pain comes from that. And finally, it lands in something called a reprobate mind where they wouldn't know good if good bit them. They wouldn't know the difference between good and bad. If good you know kissed them and bad smacked them. They are illiterate to morality, illiterate to what God says is important, illiterate to love, illiterate to all the things of the kingdom. They, they just don't know, and there's no way for them to know because their mind is so bent away from God. God, that whenever they see God, they get mad and they run farther. Anybody know anybody like that? I'm just saying. So what I'm saying is simply this. By the time he gets to the end of chapter 1, we're like, they are such bad people. And by the way, they're so bad, I actually feel a little bit better about myself. Because I only do about half the things that he's talking about. They do all the things. So by the time he gets to chapter 2, he goes, then why do you pass judgment, you who do these things? Well, man, I don't do the things described in chapter 1, but he says this. Listen, breaking the law, let's just use that. There's a law that is good, amen? And if you break it, you are a law breaker. So does it matter that it's speeding or vehicular homicide as as it has to pertain to breaking the law, guilt or innocence, yes or no? So guilty is guilty, whether it's a stop sign, a parking ticket, I got two last week, or, or a, a speeding ticket, haven't got one in years because I'm the old guy behind the wheel now, driving, right? So he gets to the place where it doesn't matter if you're better than they are because everybody's guilty, and by the time we get to chapter 3, he uses language like all. Oh. And this is kind of the magnum opus, for all, 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 and, and just let me remind you again, the word all in the original Greek means all. So there, there's no exception to this. There's not like well, all except for my mom. Like, I'm sorry, but your mama is a sinner. You know what I mean? It, it's all, well, except for the Pope. No, the Pope is a sinner. Ask him. He'll tell you he's a sinner. And if he's saved, he's saved by the grace of God, not by the works of the Catholic Church. Right? So all have sinned and fall short of what God intended to be a glorious life, a life without sin, a life that, a life that didn't cause pain, but a life that relieved it. All of us have had that moment, if not lived in generations of sin. So you say, that's wonderful. Thank you for coming to church today. I hope you are all encouraged, you bunch of sinners. And uh, let's all give better next week and try to earn it. That's not what I'm saying, because that's what Paul's saying. Look at this, verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Again, what's the word all mean? That's a little bit different in this context. It does mean all, but it means all of those who have been redeemed. All of those who exercise faith, I trust that the Lord is good enough. I trust that what Jesus has done for me is enough. So it isn't like all we're going to hell and now all we're going to heaven, but all we're going to hell, and now Jesus has given the door. He's become the door through which we can pass from death into life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Are you still here? So this this almost makes more sense in the Western mindset if we read it backwards. I'm not going to, you know... Do the, the old Beatles song backwards where you find out that, you know, Paul is dead or whatever. But but, but think of it this way. Christ Jesus came so that redemption could take place. He buys back out of sin. How did that happen? It happened through grace. The word grace is the word charis, and it means like charisma, charismata. It's a gift, right? So Christ came so that people could be bought back out of sin as a gift, and what did it cost us? What's that word right there? Come on. Don't make me run. I'm old. I feel like Mr. Rogers. I like it when you say that, right? And what happened freely through Christ, the redemption? It makes us, in, before God, justified. What's the word justified mean in the book of Romans? Just if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd never sinned, right? And that happened for all who believe. That's good news. So Paul takes three or two and a half strong chapters of you stink, and your mama stinks, and your daddy stinks, and your grandma and your grandpa go back as far as you could. The Garden of Eden, they all stink. But Jesus came so that we might be set free, forgiven, and walk in the kingdom. That is good news. So today what we're going to try to do is this. I was asking the Lord about, you know, what can I do for you today, Jim? I like, Lord, what, what do you want to do today? And, and this is what it came up. I would love for you to be anchored. That word, that word keeps coming back to me. Anchored, rooted, founded in this revelation of his love for you. I would le- I'm going to use words today, but Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would do more than just let me talk. I pray you'd pierce the hearts and lives of men and women. We need a revelation, not an education. Truth, truth is good. Truth can set people free, but only you can make us truly free on the inside. And I pray that today by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about this. Jesus is a gift from God. You see that? From God the Father, his Son. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? But the What? The gift of God is, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Jesus is a gift. And this gift really tells us a lot. Um, you might know a little bit more about me if you were able to open my presents on Christmas morning. You don't know anything about me, but you open my presents and there's oh, a Remington shotgun. You're like, I know something about him. He's, he's either a hunter or he's really insecure, right? Or it's just 2020. <laughs> the gift that, that just keeps on giving, you know what I mean? And then you open up the next one, it's a hunting knife. Okay, okay, he's extraordinarily insecure, or he, he's a sportsman, right? And you open up the next one, and it's a Kevlar vest. Now you know which one it is. No, I'm sorry, it's a camouflage outfit. You're like, okay, I know what it is. He's a hunter. You would know more about me by the gifts given to me. And listen to me, we're going to know more about who we are by the gifts Jesus became for us, if we understand this. So the gift tells us, first of all, about the size of our sin, and just please hear me. And I, I know I already said this last week, so I'm not going to belabor it. But if sin were a small problem, God would have sent a small solution. But sin's not a small problem. <laughs> I watched a Billy Graham interview or heard about it years ago where, you know, how I many of you know that ever since someone was light, darkness has tried to put a lid on it. So here comes a journalist, you know, the Reverend Billy Graham. I'm going to be famous by making this guy stumble. And I'm like, oh, just Billy, just kill him, you know? And so the journalist says, with all the problems in the world today, with all the wars and the famines, with all the political unrest, with all the, the Hutus against the, uh, the, you know, whatever's and the, and the travels, and, and with all that, do you really believe that your audience needs to hear more about sin? Isn't there a more positive message? Do you believe that sin is actually the biggest problem for you to deal with? I, Billy Graham's answer was brilliant. He said, no, sin is not the biggest problem of mankind. Sin is the only problem of mankind. And if we can solve that problem, we will solve all the other problems. And I thought, just high-five, Billy. In heaven, he gets a high-five, right? If, if sin were a small problem, God would have sent a small solution. An angel would have showed up. A prophet would have appeared. A scroll would have been written on. But that wasn't the problem. The problem wasn't we needed more information. The problem is we needed a Savior, the, the problem wasn't that, that we couldn't find the way easily to pay for our own sins. The problem was there was no way for a sinner to become innocent once they were guilty. But, but I'm a good person. I, I didn't stop at the one stop sign, but I stopped at the next 10. So really, 1 out of 11 ain't bad. I mean, I, I'm just glad that, like, John doesn't stop at any. So I feel better about myself. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad that Hitler's going to be in front of me in line to, to be judged. I hope Mother Teresa's behind me so I look better in that comparison, right? That's not the way this works. Once you pass from guilt to innocence, from innocence to guilt, rather, there, there's no way to become innocent again. How do you unring that bell? How do you unlie? How do you unmurder? How do you unsteal? And so God, realizing the size of sin, the, the weight of it, the separating power of it from a holy God, he had to do something huge. Sin is a difference between heaven and hell. And so God had to do something unimaginably large to deal with our sins. Secondly, the gift tells us about the size of God's love for us. Because the only way to do what he did, and if you're a parent, you get this. If you're a grandparent, you get this twice. If you don't have kids, then trust me. But when you have children, you will not have to pray about doing what's best for them. If it costs you your life, you will do what's best for them, especially if they're little and they're scared. Middle of the night, they cry, Mommy. You know, you know why they cry, Mommy, because they cried, Daddy, once, and he pretended he was still asleep, and Mommy got up, and that created a neuron path to cry, you know, Daddy's got to go to work, sweetie, you know, whatever. Come on, if you're young parents, you know this. The baby starts crying, like, if I pretend I'm asleep, maybe they'll go back to sleep. Maybe my spouse will wake up Some of you get that. Some of you are like, I don't get it. Oh, you will. (laughs) You will, right? John 15, verse 13 says this. If you want to measure love, if you want to know what the greatest measure of love is, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And then the next verse, verse 14, goes, and I'm your friend. If you do what I command you to do, we're we're on the same team. Like I I don't look at you as like some blob of creation or some enemy of the cross. I look at you as a friend looks. I'm willing to lay down who I am for you. And in doing so, hasn't he created a love in us to lead on our lives for others? I was in the military. You guys know there's a lot of guys in the room were in the military. A lot of gals in the room, and, and none of us, of all of our training, the hours and hours of days and nights and rain and snow and desert and jungle, and not one of us ever had a grenade jumping grill, a drill. Now, when the grenade lands between you, the lowest ranking member. Is that a laugh? That was good. Thank you, kid. Is to jump on the grenade, cover it, don't worry, we'll have a nice parade in your honor, and there'll be a plaque. There'll be a junior high school named after you in Nebraska somewhere, so just do it. No one is taught to jump on a grenade, and yet there has not been a conflict in which there's been grenades that someone hasn't jumped on one for his buddy. Why? Because greater love has no one. And there isn't like, let me consider this, if I were to jump on that grenade, what are the consequences? You just jump on it, and you say goodbye, You just jump on it and you say, God, take care of my family. You just jump on it and say, comfort my mother. But you jump on it because love doesn't give you the option not to jump on it. Does that make sense? When God looked at the condition of the world, the separation because of sin, from our heart in his heart, he jumped on the grenade by sending Jesus. He laid down his life because that's the size of his love for us. Man, I hope you get this. If you've ever been in that position where you're like, oh, I know he loves me, but you know I've done the same thing like a 100 times. Oh, I just lied. It was 1,000. I just lied. It was 10,000. I've done this so often that when I do it, I do it as I'm asking for forgiveness. Now, I'm, I'm not here telling you that's a good idea, a bad idea. We're not questioning theology and that. I'm simply saying this. No matter what you do, God's love for you has not changed because of what you've done. You are not impressing him with holiness. You're not depressing him with, with unrighteousness. God has made a decision about all mankind He made it a long time ago. Before you were born, before the world was created, from the foundations of the world, the Bible says that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was crucified, sacrificed for the sins of all mankind before there even was an all mankind. He had made the decision before. He said, how does that work? I don't know. I'm not a time traveler. Ask him when you get there. Ask Billy Graham. High five him and ask him. He'll know, right? All I know is this. The Bible's made it clear. He made a decision about me long before I was a created being. He decided to stay on the cross because of one day my acceptance of, of that by faith, my my returning to him by him saying I love you, he knew that one day someone would say I love you back, and it was worth it. I was I was spending some time with a, one of our, our neighbors up here going through a really difficult challenge, COVID and family and, and uh, you know various needs. I, it just it's just a it's just been a hard season on a lot of people. And and she said I really feel bad because I. I feel like I have no right to ask God for anything, for any comfort, for any wisdom, for any direction. I said, well, why would, why would you say that? She goes, well, because when, when, I, uh, when one of my parents passed away, uh, I was so mad at him, and I just told him so, and I haven't talked to him since. I said, do you have any kids? She said, yeah, I, got a, I think it was a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I said, let's go, let's go 10 years in the future. A 13-year-old and a 15-year-old, two daughters. If you've had teenage daughters, is there going to be a problem? Just curious. I've heard. I have sons. So we, just, we just beat them. But, uh, no, I'm kidding, we, we did. No, they'd beat us back, they're big, you know. And uh, I said, the one says, I hate you, and she slams the door, i never going to speak to you again, so bad. I said, at what point do you stop loving her? She said, oh, I would never stop loving her. I said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? Come on, we, we there, you know, I, well, he didn't make his bed, so I stopped loving him. That's called abuse. He didn't make his bed. He mouthed off to his mother. He got a C-minus in algebra. I'm sorry. That was, that was a personal. I begged for a C-minus from God. It was a prayer request. Please. I got A's from all my teachers. It was like, hey, weekend, shut up. Hey, weekend, sit down. Hey, weekend, give me that knife, you know. So. But the gift tells us about the size of life. If there's one thing you should never question again, it's this. Does God really love me? Oh, he really loves you. Does he get mad at you? Yeah. You know why? Because he really loves you. Is he happy with you? Is he blessed with you? Yeah, why? Because he just, he really loves you. Though I was a sinner, yet sinner, still in sin, Christ died for me. So since I've received Christ, I I don't think he likes me less. I think he's cheering for me more, right? The gift thirdly tells us this. Tells us about our value. And boy, I hope this just gets home with you today. Our value. Everybody say value. I was looking up some things that have great value. And I thought, I'll just share them because is that the coolest car ever? That's a Bugatti, $19 million Bugatti. Most expensive manufactured car in the year 2020 because, you know, we have extra money lying around everywhere in 2020. I'm sure he just took a stimulus check and it was all taken care of, you know, he bought it. It isn't actually $19 million, it's like $18 million and change, but I rounded up because I was going to get new floor mats and tint the windows, so it was $19 million in my head. I think maybe lower the suspension a little bit. I don't know, put snow tires on it, that sort of thing, you know. And $19 million Bugatti. Let me see if I can pronounce it. It's a Bugatti La Voiture Noir. I'm sorry. I see Bugatti. All I see is that's Italian for booger. Anybody else? It's a really expensive booger. That is hot snot right there. That thing flies. Look at this, a $70 million estate on the Atlantic Ocean once owned by, built by Joe Kennedy. John F. Kennedy did his memoirs from PT-109 in that house. It sold in 2020 for $70 million, and it comes with a view. $70 million. It was built with illegal liquor money during Prohibition, but still, it's a cool house. How about this one? Ado Alpa. The emperor, the last emperor of the Incan Empire, uh, was kidnapped by, by the Spaniards from his people. And they say, Well, give him back to you if you give us all the gold in the great hall, all the gold and silver. And so they, they weighed it out, history weighed out. And, they, and this is not the cost of what it would be as an antique, this is not the value of it as it pertains to its artistry. This is the elements themselves that they were melted down, put into bars, $1.5 billion of wealth, of gold and silver, was given to the Spaniards because they considered Atahualpa to be a god. They had to ransom their god. How many guys would be like, listen, if you're god, just do something. And if you're not, we're better off with that. I know, I'm just saying. All right. So here, here's an interesting question. Here's an interesting question. It's simply this. How do we know what something is worth? How do you? I mean, that chair. Let's just auction it off. Get it up here and we say, okay, who will give me five dollars for the chair. Five, five, you can get five again. Ten, ten, you get ten. 50 give me. And I go, okay, it's high and I got to stop because it isn't high enough. Like this is a this is a chair. This this has had the, the 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 blessed assurance of the saints rested upon it for many years. This has this is seasoned. It's it's anointed. It has the anointment stuck in it. We've tried to remove it with stain remover, but still the anointment is there. And and he'll give it 20, 20 twenty, 25, twenty-five. I'll go, go, go. will go, sold for fifty dollars. How much is that chair worth? How do we know it's worth $50? Because someone was willing to pay for it. So here's a question that could change your life if you let it. What are you worth to God? And the only answer that is appropriate is not uh, the elements, if broken down, put into boxes and shipped out as calcium and carbon the only appropriate answer is what did God pay for you? I, I get, and I'm trying to be very careful with the whole, piano guy, join me if you would, the whole, the whole self-esteem thing, because I don't believe in it. I, I, I don't think I should look in the mirror and tell myself how good I am and feel good about what I see. Uh, kind of gave up on that a long time ago, actually. But what I do want to do is look in the mirror, and if I can see what God sees when I see me, There's a security that comes from that. There's a blessing that comes from that. There's a power that comes from that. There's a peace that comes from that. When I realize that the one who redeemed me will never leave me and will never forsake me because he's made a decision about me that's based on love, not performance. When I I consider that, that, that God loved me so much that he sent his son to die for Judy Olson's son, that he sent his son to die for our sons. That he sent his son to die for the world. All of a sudden you go, man, I, I've been living like, um, God's got 10 commandments in one hand, a rolling pin in the other, and he's playing whack-a-mole with sinners. Okay, uh, you use a bad word, but it wasn't traffic, so that's excusable if you say sorry and... Oh, you didn't say sorry fast enough. Whack, I got a flat tire. God's judging me. Just please do me a favor. Understand, if God wanted to judge you, he doesn't need a reason to judge you. He's God. What God needs a reason to do is not to judge us. So don't, don't say, I got a flat tire where it was God. Say, those tires lasted 25,000 miles. I know where my God has been. We, we can't call every negative thing the judgment of God. And every positive thing, luck, And arrive at a proper perspective of what we're talking about today. Your value to God is so great that when he considered eternity without you, he said, nope. No, 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 no. There's nothing I think about. There's nothing I pray about. There's nothing to decide. I love them. My commitment to them is, is in, up to and including the life of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm not sending Jesus to condemn that world. If I wanted to condemn them, I could condemn them and start over again. I don't want to condemn them. I want to redeem them. I don't want to make them feel guilty. I want to remove those feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation. Think about this, guys. The greatest price ever paid for anything is the price God paid in giving Jesus for you. Just let that marinate you for a second. Jesus did it all because he loves you. It's a love you didn't earn. The neat thing about not having to earn it is you don't have to sustain it either. It's a love without conditions. I'm not saying promises don't have conditions. I'm saying God's love doesn't have conditions. I love those who, but I hate those. No, no. There are promises. If you will, then I will, right? We have to believe, we have to trust. Faith activates salvation, faith activates gifts, faith activates miracles and answered prayers, all that kind of stuff. So there is a if you, then I will relationship, but it's not the relationship of love. Love does not have a precursor to it. You do not have to qualify for God's love. God doesn't love you any more or any less than anybody else he's ever created. I say this from time to time and it's been misunderstood, but I don't care. I, Jim Wegan, am God's favorite kid. I'm also tied with all of mankind but I'm his favorite it's it's different when I'm God's favorite when I'm God's favorite I'm looking for a parking spot I'm looking for a good one it's different when you're God's favorite kid when you're God's favorite kid you're looking for a wife you look for a good one the kind of the kind of wife that only God could give you because God blesses his favorite kids now that doesn't make me any better did you hear that please does not make me any worse I am tied with all humanity as God's favorite kid. And so are you. And a love that needs to be responded to. Let me just, let me just close with this. How I many of you guys know what it means when the pastor says, as I begin to close? Absolutely nothing. There, John 21 talks about Jesus and Peter. Peter has betrayed Christ. He's, he's denied him three times. And now he's in the process of restoring him. And it's interesting, the question that he asked Peter is not, Pete, you know, you, you denied me to a, an enslaved child female. And, and if you understand the culture of the Romans, females were less whatever than males. Children were less whatever than adults. And slaves were less whatever than those that were free. Does that make sense? So we talk about an enslaved female child. She goes, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter goes, uh, no, no, I'm not. Hmm. I mean, he wasn't like facing the Sanhedrin. He was facing like daycare. Aren't you one of his followers? Oh, uh, uh, no, little lady, I don't know that. No, wait a minute. You, you're you're talking funny. You're from Galilee. You're from Tupelo, Mississippi. You got you got an accent, right? You, you're talking to you're, you're a Galilean. You are you are one of his disciples. You, I mean, I, I see you with him. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Hey, hey, just cut it off right there. Third time. Wait a minute. I, I'm sorry, but I know that I know that I know that you're one of his disciples. He goes, listen. He starts to call on curses on himself. If I am one of his disciples, may the fleas of a thousand armpits, or the fleas of a thousand camels, rather, infest my armpits. You know, I don't know what neighborhood you live in, but let's just go from there. <laughs> if, 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 I, if I am one of his followers, may Ohio State beat Michigan forever. Amen. And then the rooster crows, and Peter goes, Wait a minute, the rooster crowed. There was something before the rooster crows, you'll deny me. And then when he crows, this this is one of the most stunning moments in, in all of the gospels. Peter turns and he sees Jesus, who's being held captive hours away from crucifixion, and Jesus turns at the same time and looks at Peter, and they have a moment of eye contact. It's not, I told you so, it's, Do you remember? And Peter just. Freaks. He just runs away, he weeps bitterly, the Bible says. It's not like, oh, bummer, what's for lunch? He he couldn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he could, and he's just freaked out. On the third day, Jesus rises from the dead, and Peter is witness to the resurrected body. They're out fishing one night, catching nothing. And also this voice from the shore that sounds vaguely familiar says, why don't you cast your net on the other side of the boat? John chapter 21 he goes, sir, we've been fishing all night. I, you know, it's kind of—I I don't know. Just do it. Just try it. So they do, and there's this huge catch of fish. And Pete goes, "Wait a minute, this is a miracle." Who's the guy on the beach? And he kind of does one of. The, how many of you guys know when you get older, you got to squint a little bit? And he goes, "It's—it's it's the Lord." and he jumps in the water, leaves the fish, because it's not about the fish, it's not about the boats, it's not about bunch of business partners, it's about Jesus, and he gets there, and they're eating together now. The fish are on the shore, they've made a meal, and this is what happens. Remember, he denied him three times. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And so Jesus starts to ask Peter questions. Same question, kind of, three times. He goes, Peter, you know, you really blew it there the other night, and uh, you broke my heart, man. You saw it in my eyes when we made eye contact. So this is what I need to know. I need to know you'll never do it again, promise me. Is that what he did? no listen i'm mad at you but if you do 14 push-ups eight hail marys and and give half of your wealth to the poor we'll be clean is that cool is that what he does nothing against hail marys is that what he does what's he do he says peter what's the question do you do you love me Not now he's sorry Not that you do better do you love me why Jesus did what he did for Peter because Jesus loved Peter and he knew that if Peter loved Jesus, Peter would do anything for Jesus. The kingdom's not based on our works, our commitments, our vows. It's based on our love. That's why the most important things we can do is love God and love people, love our neighbor. Does this make sense? So hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Heaven has shouted through the blood of Jesus Christ, the son of God, I love you. Waits for someone to say in the darkness back I love you too last story Santa you got one more in you I'm 10 years old in 5th grade and I'm on the Bablo boat now if you know what the Bablo boat is you're old <laughs> on the third deck of the Bablo boat there was dancing and all the way there this, the, the first girl I ever liked the first girl who didn't have a, just a severe case of cooties I didn't understand uh, romantic love. I I wasn't trying to, but she was just different. She was a girl, but she wasn't, you know, she was different than the girls for some reason. And I remember thinking... At the end of the school, your last day of school, Bablo Island. She's gonna go to a junior high school. I'm gonna go to another junior high school. I'll never see her again. There was something, even as a child, even as a 10-year-old child, like, I gotta, I gotta do something, I gotta say something, I gotta express something. So all the way there, people are dancing. I thought, I'll ask her to dance, I'll get her phone number. And I didn't. We you know, we rode the wildcat, we threw up four times, they had a corn dog, got back on again, right? We're coming back, and we've dropped everybody off and whyin'ed out. We're 20 minutes from Detroit, and the DA says it'll be the last dance. This is the last chance you have. This is the last. And I'm just going, okay, okay. I mean, sweaty palms, gurgling stomach, upset stomach, diarrhea, the whole thing, right? And I'm, I, and I, and, I, and remember, this is, we're, we're fifth graders. So all the girls are on one side of the boat. All the boys are on the other side of the boat. And I cross to the center and all of a sudden I got everybody's attention. I'm walking across and like, yeah, I hope he's not coming to me. That's the kid that wet his pants in Little League. That's the, I don't, he's so weird. That's the fat kid. Pick last. And, and finally, I and I walk right up to her and it's like the whole world went. I said, will you dance with me? How many of you know for a 10 year old, that's gutsy. That's all I got. Thank God. She said, yes, I will dance with you. "Ah." So I walked out. We get to the middle of the floor. All of Duck Lake Elementary is watching. All 12 of them. And she puts her arms around my neck and it was then for the first time in my life I realized something. I don't know how to dance. And so I put my arms around her neck. And we had this moment where it was Greco-Roman. It was best three out of four. It was, and she said this, I'll never forget. She goes, oh, you don't even know how to dance. And she walked away and left me standing in the middle of the dance floor as all of Duck Lake Elementary watched. And I tell you that story for this reason. One is I'm gonna get even with that chick someday, you know. I'd say that's sort of because of this. It really didn't matter how I felt about her unless she's reciprocated. It really doesn't matter how much God loves you. Does that make sense? It matters, but it really doesn't matter unless you're willing to learn how to dance. And I'm just, as we close today, let me just say this to you. It isn't... There's religious parts of it, but it's not religion. There's discipline parts, but it's not discipline. I'm trying to say this the right way. Our marriage is not based upon what time and for how long and when do we and the budget. and that. It's not. There's something deeper. We have those things, but there's something much deeper that, that is the foundation of our marriage. It's not the vows we took 32 years ago. It's the vow we took this morning. Does that make sense? It's a part of us now. You ever think about divorce? It's like, of course not. I, my grandmother, married for 50 years, and, and we asked, you ever thought about divorcing grandpa? They bickered all the time. She goes, no, sweetie. Our, our generation would never speak of divorce. Murder on several occasions, but never, never divorce. There's this bond. It's not based on she makes me happy, as happy as I want to be every day, and there's no one make me happier. Because if there was, there's not that. We've become one person in the last series of decades. And one of these days, death will part us. But that'll be the only thing. By the grace of God, hear me. Your relationship with Christ has to go deeper than I go to church and I say my prayers and I give my tithes and I I, I get that. That's a part of relationship, but that's not the relationship. The relationship is much deeper. So if you were wondering if God loves you, I hope you've answered that question. If you're wondering if he still loves you based upon your behavior recently, I hope you understand he does. I hope you understand that what is lacking in relationship is not his love for you. It's you letting him teach you how to dance to his song. So Father, I pray that today, as you have crossed the deck in front of all mankind, and you've asked us to dance. I pray that we'd say yes. And it will be awkward sometimes, and it will be new, and it will be strange, and it will be embarrassing, and it will be what it is. But God, I pray, when you ask us, like you did Peter, do you love me? I pray we'd say, Yeah. Yes, I love you too. I love you too here and now guys if that's you don't raise your hand don't just say it to him I love you too I love you too maybe it's been a while since he said this you've been dutifully performing as his child but stop for a second it's a dance I love you too dad I love you too father I love you too I love you I trust you make me born again again if need be But never let us stop the relational moving back and forth, the rhythmic dance of being yours and you being ours, God. You so love us. Today, God, from earth, we just say back, I love you too. I love you too. From that foundation, God, build your kingdom. From that foundation, let us go from being sinners to saints. From that foundation, let us learn how to walk and run fly and dance in Jesus name in Jesus name and everybody said amen I'm so glad you came to church doesn't feel like Christmas talking about my young heart getting broken just reminds me of the holidays for some reason amen um online if you gave your life to Jesus today do this put the little hand emoji up the little Mickey Mouse glove thing and we're gonna follow up we've also got these videos guys for you if you're like hey I gave my life to Christ today what do I do next um 10 by 10s. There are 10 videos of 10 minutes or less that kind of answer those questions. And it'd be very helpful uh, to you. Tonight's outreach. Can we just pray for that real quick before we go? Stand to your feet. We're going to dismiss you. Gather your stuff. Don't anybody leave quite yet. Don't leave until you're directed to do so, which will be in just a moment. Can we just pray for the outreach tonight? I get to be Santa Claus tonight. Isn't that awesome? I got lessons. I need, I need help. I need cookies. I'm going to be Santa. Pat Whiting's going to be Santa. Santa Flexo Claus. You know what I mean? Say, what happens through the years? Just kidding, sorry. (laughs) Before? After? Before? (laughs) Uh, You're a cop, though. You don't have to fight dirty. So let's do this. Let's pray. Father, for every child that's about to have a knock at the door and a blessing with a smile on it, bless that family. Bless the parents, the grandparents, all who care for these kids. We don't do it for the glory of man, but for the glory of God. We're learning how to dance. And I pray, God, I'm praying that this community would feel your love tonight. Let let them see our light. Let it shine. But may you get the credit for everything we're about to do. Thanks for providing for it. Thanks for giving us kids to bless and families in need. And we ask, God, all the little Santas and all the little elves and all the little helpers and deliverers, God, tonight would be a night that a child 50 years from now would look back and say, I'll never forget that one Christmas. Let tonight be that one Christmas, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. All right. They're going to direct you. Don't leave until you go. In a nice, clear voice, those who are going to be leading them out today on your market set, lead them out.